So today's guest on the podcast is probably known as the youngest talent manager or opera singer manager or what I guess whatever you call it. He's the youngest manager really in the business. He started his own company, but it's the third company he started or I guess pseudo organization. Uh, he is also known as the uh, founding artistic director of New York Opera Exchange, Justin Werner. He's um, an old friend from when I was in graduate school there, and he's moved on to bigger and better things. He has a roster of 33 clients that he manages, and um, the insight he has is uh, extremely valuable for singers to um, understand what managers are looking for and just the no sort of BS approach to, you know, you're either this or you're not. So anyway, here's a conversation I had with Justin. I see so much gossip and so much backstabbing and that catches up to people very quickly. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Um, it's a shame because good singers sink their own careers before they're 30. Uh, and it's not only having technical issues or, you know, blowing out your voice or stuff like that, but it's just, being a bad colleague and being a bad friend. And that's, um, I've seen a lot of talented colleagues of mine really uh, blacklist themselves from certain companies because they just don't act in a professional way. That was Justin Werner, and this is Voice Talks. Welcome to the podcast. I hope I've had a nightmare situation with um, my computer today editing a previous episode it crashed like 10 times so i'm hoping it stays alive for this interview but it should be fine because i'm not doing anything super crazy on it so the first artist manager on voice talks and i'm really excited to have you on here because i think your perspective as a manager is uh unique in that you are booking gigs and, and helping connect singers to opportunities and at the end of the day, singers are really interested in learning what they can do to make themselves um, more hireable and complete their package of their product and, and so forth. So I want to get into, um, of course, like what you think makes someone more hireable and whatnot, you know, as people would anticipate we'd be talking about in this episode. We will get to that. But first, can you just take me through... Um, I, I know you said you started as a singer, but um, tell me like how you, more in detail, how you decided to become a manager and what made you decide to put singing aside in order to go that route instead? Sure. Um, you know, when I was a singer in undergrad, I went to Boston University. I luckily got a wonderful liberal arts education as well as my singing training. Um, I always had an inkling that my best skill set might be on the other side of the table. Um, I actually founded an opera company or uh, an opera project my senior year of college uh, to give some of the undergraduate students an opportunity to perform uh, that they weren't getting with graduate students and artist diploma students in the school. Um, so when I got home after college, um, I went through a thought change from baritone to tenor and was sort of a mess. Uh, and I saw my much more talented colleagues who could wake up in the morning and you know, scream high seas, and that just wasn't me. Um, so I really wanted to start another opportunity for my colleagues who were right out of school, who weren't getting the opportunities maybe in school or in young artist programs to get on stage, which is just essential to um, have a career. Um, so in founding New York Opera Exchange, it really started as the Justin and Friends show. 
Um, but our last year, we had 800 singers apply to our season. We did Flavor Mouse, Lucia, and Carmen, all triple cast uh, with a wonderful 50-piece orchestra. Um, we had a Broadway director, Duarte Carmen. Actually, Avery and Mary Hollis were two former Voice Talks alums were both in that show. Um, so learning how to cast a show, learning how to um, not only be an artistic director, but to, when you're an artistic director of a small company, you're doing a lot more than planning a season. You're looking at budget, you're building sets, you're contracting the orchestra. So having that hands-on, no safety net approach um, to New York Opera team was really helpful for me and for the rest of our staff. Um, our music director is actually a coach in Leipzig now, and part of the reason for that is, um, you know, he got to conduct our orchestra. He got to coach wonderful singers, and that experience led him to, um, and his amazing talent, of course, uh, led him to Leipzig to, to be coaching in a wonderful professional company. And for me, um, I met some of my first clients at New York Opera Exchange. They're people who I was in the trenches with in rehearsal, where I could really gauge not just from a seven-minute audition what they could do, but from an entire rehearsal process, which is a luxury that I'm not usually afforded when hearing a singer. Um, so in between running Opera Exchange, I, I went to grad school at Queens College with uh, my wonderful opera mom, um, who was my voice teacher, but also my mentor. And, and was always supportive of my non-operatic endeavors, uh, which for a voice teacher I think is very unique. Um, because when I went into a lesson halfway through my first semester of grad school and said, I'm not going to sing anymore, I really didn't know what to expect because she invested all this time in me as a singer. And she didn't even skip a beat and said, well, you're going to be a manager. And I said, what does that mean? I have no idea what artist managers do. I'm, I was 24 at the time. You know, I don't know what that industry is. And she actually arranged with the school that uh, my second semester of grad school, I didn't have to take any classes. All I had to do was participate in the opera. And uh, I did an internship at IMG Artists, uh, which is one of the big three here in New York. Um, and they gave me an artist diploma, which is always something that I've been thankful for. They didn't have to do that. I could have had an unfinished master's. Um, and working at IMG was incredible. I got to work with Don Upshaw Brownlee and Renee Fleming, all these wonderful singers. Um, but my one qualm about working in corporate is it's just it's a bit sterile. Um, there isn't development to do with these singers. They're they're finished products for the most part, especially the clients that I was given the chance to work with. I know that IMG and Cami are now taking chances on some younger singers, which I just didn't experience in my time there. Um, so I wanted something where I could really get my hands dirty, where I could develop a singer from the ground up. Uh, taking a product that perhaps wasn't polished and giving them the tools to um, achieve whatever career they set out to do. Um, the one thing about the big corporate firms as well is, you know, everyone's at the Met in Houston and Seattle. And, th and that's not the only career path. There, there's a lot of um, really good things about having a regional career. And singers need to make the decision, do I want to be the star at, a smaller company? Do I want to do smaller roles at a larger company? What is the ceiling for me? What is the floor? Um, so after IMG, I spent two years searching for a job. Uh, I applied to hundreds of jobs, it seemed, and made it to the final round of about 10 and was told I was either too young or too qualified for an entry-level position, that running an opera company, the opera exchange was a conflict of interest. There were just lots of excuses. Um, but for every job that I was devastated not to get, 
I'm very thankful that I didn't get them because I was given the opportunity to start CMW on my own and, and curate a roster that I'm really invested in. Every singer is a friend first and a client second. And my golden rule for management is if I don't want to have a beer with you after a show, I'm not going to manage you. Because if that's the case, I'm not going to make the extra call or write the extra email late at night. Um, it is an investment of time for each client. So um, with CMW, I met my business partner, Gabe Corrette, at, at a birthday party that neither of us really wanted to attend. And uh, he had just moved from Atlanta that week, and I was feeling sick. And uh, our friend, Rebecca Shorstein, who um, was our client but now is doing more musical theater, um, you know, basically locked us in a room and she's like, you two are in the industry, you should be friends. And, um, we talked and Gabe is great, and, but I didn't really hear from him for about six months. He called me out of the blue, asked me to hear one of his singers. I gave some feedback to that singer and we went out to lunch and CNW was born that next day. So it, it happened pretty quickly. Um, and CNW has grown more than I ever could have imagined in the last two and a half years um, when the first iteration of the company happened. Um, we thought that we would be developing singers right out of school, right out of being artist programs, getting them their first main stage opportunities, and then maybe having them go off to other managers. Um, but now that we've developed the contacts at the A and D level houses, um, we have both more established clientele coming in right away, and also our clientele who we've got um, or who we got at the beginning of the company are now just you know, spreading their wings and moving on to much larger opportunities. So um, also in the last year, year and a half, there have been so many boutique management firms that have opened up. So we're not the new guy anymore, which is a bit refreshing um, because I think I am the, or at least one of the youngest managers out there still. So uh, I was joking around with a friend yesterday that, you know, I started Operation Ninja 22. I started CW at 26. Now I'm 29. Maybe I'll start have to, produce some substance now that I'm almost 30. Um, but it is, uh, it's been a fun ride. And, and most of all, to get to really um, curate and control what I do without a corporate net over me is something I really value, even if there's a bit less, um, let's say financial security um, and glamour uh, as of now. So as far as these boutique um management firms that are opening up these days. I know that that was a question you and I had discussed a few years ago when when you had first sort of, I think when you were in, still interning at IMG and I was sort of toying with the idea of what I wanted to do with opera because I was pretty sure I didn't want to be a performer either. And um, one of the main questions I think I remember addressing with you is that you know we were commenting on how much amazing talent there was just in New York City and that people weren't getting the opportunities that they needed. And luckily, you know, they're in New York, it's a place with a lot of sort of like micro boutique opera companies with that presents lots of, you know, role study opportunities and performance opportunities with orchestra and stuff. But um, the main point that I think we came down to is that there just aren't enough managers for the for the singers, basically. And, and that's sort of like the last, um, I guess not the last, but it's like the first, uh, hurdle you have to get through as a singer um, at the beginning of a professional career, more or less. And um, when there's just not many managers who aren't willing to take on, you know, an incredible amount of clients based on the talent that's out there, it makes it really difficult and really sort of painted the picture for me how difficult it would be to actually make it 
into a successful position as a performer in that career. So have you found that since these new boutique um, management companies have been popping up since you started yours, have you found that there are more opportunities for management for American singers? Well, I'll take that sort of in two points, Zach. I, I think my, my viewpoint on the industry has changed a lot since, you know, we were both singers. Um, and I do have to think of singers. Uh, for example, I, I sat through four days of the prelims of the listeners last week and heard 250 singers in four days. And in my head, as, as much as I don't want to create misconceptions and, and, and expectations for a singer before I hear them, in, in looking at a resume, I automatically think, would I cast this good person in your opportunity if I was in that company? Would I manage this person? And do I think that this person is going to have a financially feasible career? There are a lot of singers out there who can sing at the local level, who can do these roles, who can get through them. But that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people who can create something artistically and who can add something to the industry that's not just another Rosetta or another Ferrando or another whatever role you want to talk about. Um, so as much as these boutiques are creating more opportunities for singers to be managed, I also think that the American conservatory system and um, academia in general here in the States is creating this pretty decent baseline of singer. Everyone's singing in tune, everyone's singing with okay languages, everyone's singing with some sort of artistry, but above that is a, a class of singer who is rarer than I ever thought um, or than I ever could imagine. They're just isn't a lot of genuine artistry out there, um, especially compared to the amount of singers that are auditioning for these young artist programs that are auditioning for these very competitive opportunities. Um, so as much as there is more opportunity, I also thought when I was running your Docker stage that there were a lot more singers worthy of management, and that just isn't the case. Um, there's a lot of mediocrity out there, and there's a lot of unoriginal singing, which is my biggest qualm about young singers, is that they have this package of arias that um, is academically sound. They have their one German and their one French and their two Italian. The, the periods are different. It would be great for a recital, but that's not what, that isn't what's going to get you hired. It's being an artist that can specialize in, I'm one of the best Russian singers out there. I'm the best Donan. I'm the best... Um, you know, Ozmin, you know, I don't care if you can sing eight other languages when I'm hiring you. I can care if you can sing that role that I'm hiring you for and that you're going to blend with the cast that I'm creating and you're going to be a good colleague. Um, about young singers, I see so much gossip and so much backstabbing and that catches up to people very quickly. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Um, it's a shame because good singers sink their own careers before they're 30. Uh, and it's not only having technical issues or, you know, blowing out your voice or stuff like that, but it's just being a bad colleague and being a bad friend. And that's, um, I've seen a lot of talented colleagues of mine really uh, blacklist themselves from certain companies because they just don't act in a professional way. Um, and that's something that's not being taught in school. You go to your voice lessons, you go to your coachings. It's all technical knowledge, but, you know, no one's taught how to even put together a resume, how to put together a press kit, how to present your materials to a manager. Um, I get emails constantly from singers who send me this beautiful cover letter, but no materials. And then I'll get an email that's just like interest in your roster as a subject line and 18 recordings. And I'm not going to listen to all those recordings. 
I'm, I have no reason to because you haven't given me, I am this person. I would like to be managed because of X, Y, Z. Um, I need that background because unless you're the next coming of Pavarotti, I'm just not going to be interested um, because I'm already researching singers. I'm already hearing what's out there to an extent. You know, there's always people who pop up out of nowhere and they're amazing. Um, but to, to be a successful managed singer, you have to have built um, at least a baseline of a career by yourself. Um, you know, and that, that's the age old question. When am I ready to be managed? And the old adage, uh, you know, is have something to be managed. Um, but, you know, what is that? I guess that's a question we'll hit uh, during this interview. Yeah. So I want to address a couple of questions. Um, the first I want to talk about, it, it'll be, okay, so if people don't enjoy negativity, we're going to go down hopefully no more than five minutes of negativity to just discuss, uh, really outline the, the biggest uh, qualities of what it takes to be a bad colleague. I want to get more specific in that because a lot of singers are like, oh, I'm a great colleague, but, but they do things that really make them a bad colleague that they don't realize. So I want to go down that. And then we'll talk about um, you know, discovering when it is the point at which a singer is ready for management truly. So if you don't mind going sort of down the list with me of what it, what it means, like what are the most common things you see other than gossiping and backstabbing and blowing out one's voice technically? Like are there specific um, common things that you see across the board where singers just really uh, sort of go to, the, go to the other side of the room in, in, your, in your mind that, that don't really qualify them for a professional future? Um, sort of, I could group those things into things you can control and things you can't control. Um, sort of in the things you can control, my biggest thing is show up on time, answer emails within 24 hours. That's our big mantra at CMW because I have so many colleagues who are unhappy with their management for the simple reason that they don't get back to them. Um, so our big golden rule is no email will sit more than 24 hours with response, even if we don't have an answer for that question. Even if it's, oh, we're looking into that. It still lets the singer know that we're on top of it. Um, so showing up on time, answering emails on time. Um, showing up prepared to rehearsals. It doesn't matter how good of a singer you are. If you don't know the music, you're not getting rehired. Um, it's as simple as being polite to the conductor, being polite to the director, um, really collaborating with those two individuals to create a product that is not just yours, but it's the, the product of the show. You know, I was talking to a friend who has done a certain show now 18 times in the last five years. And every time it's a different experience. Every time there's only been one repeat production in those 18 shows. So he really has to go into that role, having a fresh perspective, being able to hear the new director, to hear the new conductor, you know, and at least have a collaborate, a collaborative conversation about it. You don't have to agree with everyone. Um, I was in a masterclass with Jerry Hadley when I was undergrad, which I have on recording and I listen to when I'm feeling down sometimes because it's such good advice. Uh, he was talking about a director in uh, Boham in, I think, Germany. And the director said that, you know, Rodolfo is attracted to Mimi because she's already dead. And Jerry said that, you know, he thought that was the most ridiculous idea ever. But if you want a director to not think his idea is a good idea, to do the worst job you can and really buy into that idea, but 
you know, knowing in your heart of hearts that you can't give your best performance on that idea because then, you know, the director will know you're at least game to try new things and hopefully they change their mind. Um, and, and hopefully there's at least a conversation about changing your mind because um, that's what we're in to do. We're here to create art. We're not here to, you know, push our own agenda. Um, you know, Mozart and Puccini and Verdi, they knew better than any of us. So um, I think just a respect for for the past as well. Um, I really wish more of my colleagues knew singers of the past. And to be honest, I'm still working on that. Um, as it, when I was a singer, I was the worst kind of tenor it could be. I only looked at the tenor line. I only knew tenor arias. I, you know, was that guy. Um, and now as a manager, I do so much more score study than I ever had in the past. I really am exposed to a much wider variety of our art form. And I've discovered pieces and arias and, and ensembles that I never would have as a singer. And I'm really thankful for that. Even um, just, you know, going back to being a good colleague, like show up to events your colleagues are at, shake people's hands, just go. I mean, I've gotten singers gigs by just showing up to events that I didn't have to attend. Um, and knowing that whether a singer is much better than you, much worse than you on the same level, we're all at some point going to be in a position where we can hire each other. Um, I can tell you that I had colleagues when I was an undergrad that were not very nice to me. And two of them were two of the first people who called me to manage them when I started CNW. And they asked me, will you manage me? And I said, absolutely not. Like, I don't can't trust you with a colleague and I don't care how talented you are. If I think you're gonna go into a company and burn bridges, I can't manage you. It's not a smart business move. And I think it's, it's important, I'm drawing the connection here based on what you're saying that uh, it's not, especially as a professional singer, you do not have a professional life as a singer and then a personal life that you're no longer a professional. All of those moments, if you want to be a professional performer, uh, every relationship matters. You can't just like, and now I go into work at 9 a.m., so now I'm going to shake everyone's hand, but as soon as 5 p.m. comes around or whatever, I'm just using a 9 to 5 as, as an anecdotal example but or a hypothetical example. But it, you, you have to stay turned on if that's not a natural thing for you to be uh, personable and relatable and positive for example and or someone with integrity you can't just like turn integrity on for half of the day and then turn it off at the end of the day or or um loyalty or, or trustworthiness or anything like that you need to be a good person basically and you and that's part of uh you know the package or the product i think at least based on what you seem to uh, explain today. That's that's the conclusion I'm getting to, at least. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, for example, I was at an audition a few days ago, and a girl was freaking out because she was missing a page of her aria. And a friend of mine volunteered to run to her coach's house and get a score for this girl who she'd never met. And if I didn't know that singer, I know who got the score. She's a good friend. But if I didn't know that singer, I'd be more willing to give her my card to be like, hey, I'd like to hear you just for that kind act. And those things get noticed by not only, you know, me in the room, but other singers, artistic directors, managers. Um, we all talk. We all talk a lot. Um, and I think the biggest thing for young singers to realize is, especially when they're in school or a young artist program, 
the industry is not that microcosm of the eight people you're in the app with or the 20 people who are in your grad class. Um, we all are this big. It's a really, it's a family. Um, I can say as the managers go, um, they've really been a family to me and, and been so supportive. And I've realized through that, um, if a singer is a jerk, more people know about it than I ever could have expected. And it's just, it's as simple as would I want someone to do this to me? And if the answer is no, then don't do it. Have common sense. It's not difficult. It is like a regular nine to five office job. Um, only we, we talk in multiple languages sometimes. It's really not that different. Right. I, you know, and I found that, uh, people in this business, well, I'm sure people in every business can be ruthless, but, um, I found that singers, maybe probably mostly the bad colleagues can be so ruthless. And as soon as someone makes a mistake, they're the first person to point things out. And it's like, if you start going down that path and making that a habit, especially as a young age, I mean, it doesn't matter if like you were an undergrad being the gossipy one, but maybe you fix that about your personality by grad school. People, if they experience that with you, even when you were 18, they're going to remember that. And uh, just like you said, you know, those first two people that called you um, who were <laughs> kind of dicks, I guess, to you when you were an undergrad, like, you know, it go, it, it's the relationships you form just as much as your talent and just as much as your work ethic. I don't know if there's... Would you say that there's like a trifecta? That's what I kind of want to get to, like the food groups of being a good package. And I guess that naturally brings us to when is someone ready for management? Um, so we went through the things, a couple of things that make you a, a poor colleague or a poor professional in this profession as a performer. What are the, um, the aspects of, of someone, and you've touched on it several times, but like specifically if you can pinpoint like a singer needs ABC or or something like that. Can can you complete that thought? A singer needs, and we're going to get into more technical things later. But obviously, for every FOC, there's a different sort of set of criteria that one needs. But in general, one needs to a be a good colleague, like my golden rule. I want to have a beer with you after a show. I want to be friends with you. That's important for a managerial relationship. Um, because we are your hype men. We are the people who are pushing you to these companies who are saying my client is the best X uh, that you're ever going to get. And if I don't believe in you as a person, I'm not going to make that call. So that's number one. Number two is um, a history of performing at a high level, whether it be grad school, young artist programs, smaller main stage opportunities. Um, I do notice that singers now with the young artist programs being such where they're taking older singers. I have singers in their 30s who are still applying to young artist programs because that's the only opportunity out there. I do see singers who are waiting till their early 30s to gain management or, or apply to management at least. And they have major main stage opportunities on their resume. So I think for me, I can't compare a 26-year-old mezzo who's just out of the app to a 32-year-old mezzo who's done Minnesota and Opportunity St. Louis and these big opportunities because they're just at different points in their career. Um, to be honest, at this point, I'm more interested in the older singer because they're sort of an easier sell. If they've worked with these companies before, I can go back to those companies and say, hey, you should rehire this person or I can call Minnesota or... Um, 
North Carolina and say, you worked with this person. What did you think of them? Would you rehire them? Um, where at the young artist level, there is a little bit more muddling of everyone's at a similar level. Um, everyone's doing small roles in chorus. Everyone is sort of just in that um, pipeline. Um, and less people get out of the pipeline than I expected, even from the big programs, even from your Lindemans and Houston's and you know, Chicago's. There's a lot of people from those programs who are sort of middling along and it, it's a grind. You know, we're not really going to see life-changing money from this thing till we're in our mid-30s. So um, what I say to singers too, because I, I have a lot of singers who approach me and say, you know, you quit singing. When did you know you wanted to quit? I don't think there's a sort of a tangible way to say it, but what I say to them is we don't get paid enough in this business to be miserable. So if you wake up in the morning and you don't want to practice and you don't want to learn your music and you don't want to deal with the bullshit that, that this industry is, because there's a lot of gossip and crap, even on the highest levels, um, then maybe it's time to find a new profession. But uh, for those singers who are really grinding, um, that work ethic is really the third thing that I think. You need to hustle. When you get a manager, it doesn't mean the hustle's over. It just means you need to do twice as much work because now you're working with another party to make them know how good you are because you know the singer. Like, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, or at least I hope they know. Um, so when you're pushing yourself to a company that's easy, you know, you can say, I'm a really good this, but I'm weaker at that. Um, when a manager's doing that for you, you need to make sure that they are pushing you forward in the light that you want to be pushed um, because miscommunication between management and singer happens all the time. Um, and that's why, you know, it happens at CW as much as it does other firms. But, you know, we try to be very clear with singers, especially if they're moving into the new repertoire. Are you interested in this role at this level? You know, is this the way you want to get your foot in the door at a larger company? So um, knowing your self-worth, I think very important. And of course, when you're 26 and you're in the Young Artist Program, do you know where the career is going to go? No. Even, you know, the famous singers that are now at the top of their game, they were once students like us. They were once, you know, emerging artists, as we call them. Uh, so it's just that simplest desire and um, that you want it. Because, you know, part of the reason I stopped singing is because I didn't want to travel. I didn't want to live out of a suitcase. I didn't want to be away from my fiance for that long. So um, it, it's a commitment. It's definitely a commitment. Yeah, I find especially in um, creative professions, the competition is so high to not only make a living wage, but make a make a wage that does sort of pay you for the bullshit as you eloquently stated. Um, that, you know, there are a lot of talented people who produce uh, a, an interesting artistic product but as a collaborator, if you aren't willing to work harder than the next guy, you aren't going to be, you aren't going to set yourself apart. And I guess like, you know, especially once you cross that door into management and you, you, you made the point that, you know, that doesn't mean you get to relax. You, you work harder because now you're working with others. You're collaborating on a professional level. Um, managers have immensely talented people. And even if you think you are worth more than everyone else based on a talent and based on your knowledge and intellectual capacity, if you aren't working as hard as the next guy, 
um, you know, I, in my opinion, I think, uh, show yourself the door because this people want to see hard workers and it takes more work <laughs> than people think, uh, especially at that level. It, it seems to be apparent the more singers I talk to, um, that's the one common theme. One of your clients, Aaron Short, who, um, back in the day when I sang as a cover for, um, Oh my gosh, your company. <laughs> I can't think of the name, but right at New York Opera Exchange. New York Opera Exchange. Yeah, yeah. Um, Aaron, I was covering Aaron in, uh, in one of the rules. Actually, I briefly covered him, and then I realized that Edgardo was way over my head, and then he took over. <laughs> but, um, uh, but Aaron Short was a guest on Math and Black's podcast called Doing the Work. And it's such, um, I don't know if you've heard of it. Have you, did you know that he was on I'm that not. podcast? So, um, the the whole idea is finding the work ethic of creative professionals and um it's such a poignant topic when you think about it because i truly think that you know there can you you might be the the best looking person in the room or the most talented person in the room but the only thing that you can guarantee as a competitive advantage is knowing that you worked harder than the next guy and so if people take nothing away from, from the advice and wisdom that, that they hear from other singers who have quote unquote made it or managers who tell them quote unquote how to make it, um, I think as long as you know that you have a positive personality and the talent, you be sure that you work five times harder than, than the next guy that you know. And I think that um, that's the only way to really give yourself a true advantage. Because we look at these, you know, as you were saying, transitioning your Fach from baritone to tenor, as, as I also did back in the day. Um, you know, we look at tenors who wake up screaming high C's at eight in the morning and we say, well, they've got an sure. advantage over me. But, you know, maybe they're a bad colleague and you can work hard at, at you know, making sure that you're the one, even if, even if the music is more difficult for you to get through, if you're the one showing up you know, early and having those artistic conversations, collaborative conversations with the director and the conductor and um, making sure you just know your stuff and that you're willing to try new things and be a good colleague and do all that extra work it takes to make sure that you actually are competitive over those people that have those natural advantages. Then, then I think that's the one sort of, I don't know, insurance that we can sort of put our, point our finger at that um, people really need to grasp onto. I don't know. Well, for sure. I mean, even, you know, talking about Aaron, Aaron's someone who I've tracked since he was 22. Um, Aaron's been a colleague for a long time. And even when I was running New York Opera Exchange, when I met Aaron, I was observing things that pointed me to want to manage him. He was always on time. He always knew his music. It's, you know, a beautiful timbre, but it's unique. He adds something to each role that he touches that is indescribable. And, you know, as cliche as this sounds, every time Aaron sings, it just makes me smile. And that's someone who I can push. That's someone who I can really feel comfortable sending to these companies and, and invest in his career art. Um, because he's just a good dude. So, you know, I mean, it's important. And, and, you know, I realize now, having done sort of interviews like this and having done master classes at the university level, um, I've always sort of had that managerial mindset and I was very sensitive to those things. If someone didn't show up on time or was unprepared, like, you know, they got a little mark in the head uh, on my you know, mental notepad. Um, so, 
yeah, it, like you said, talent is of course important. We're in an art form where, you know, our throat is our instrument, and uh, that of course is it has to be number one. But one A has to be your work ethic and your personality because, um, especially for the ladies out there, uh, there's a lot of people who can do what you do. <laughs> as, as like. You know, it's shitty. There's a lot more sopranos out there than there are basses. Yeah, um, not to say that it's that it's any easier than than to sing bass rap. I just think that more women want to imagine themselves in a career in the performing arts than men do in general. Just a study of the sexes sociologically. You know, more more men typically want to sit at a desk or or whatever for for nine hours of the day, and and uh, than women do. And women, I think, you know because I'm such an astute psychologist. No, I, I'm really not, but um, you know what I mean. I don't know. I think the, the age-old issue of sopranos lining down the block who all have a glorious high E-flat um, is there versus companies who are begging for a tenor who can sing above a G. So It's true. I mean, you know, even for, for us as a roster, we have 33 singers right now. We have two basses. We have one bass baritone. And that's not because I don't want to have more bass in the bass baritones. It's because, I mean, obviously we're not going to take one of the, we're not going to take a bass just because they're a bass. They need to hit the artistic qualities that we need. But they, the good ones get swept up very quickly. And, you know, they're like unicorns. Uh, and to have a, a bass that, especially at a young age, because they do develop a, a bit slower than, you know, us high voice people. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to find people who can sing, you know, the really legit bass rep. It's hard to find contraltos. That's what makes Avery so special because she actually can sing that rap. You know, it also, she doesn't look like the Brunhilde that we all saw in Looney Tunes with the, the Viking helmet, and that helps too. Um, but it is... Finding those um, folks who can reach the mountaintop, even if they're a little bit farther from the mountaintop, uh, and giving them the tools to to get there. Yeah. Okay. So I want to um, we've we've talked about the sort of big big picture stuff. I want to get a bit more specifically. Um, maybe we spend a couple minutes on each Fach, and if there are more specifics that you're looking for from, you know, say uh, a coloratura soprano, and we'll go, we'll go all the way down to bass. Um, so a coloratura, you, you go out, you hear 20 coloratura sopranos, which is the one that you hire? The one that can... Let's say they're all good I, colleagues. Uh, let's say they're all good colleagues. Sure. So, uh, let, sure, sure. so let's go into their talent side of things. So let me sort of loop this into how we sort of sort through talent. So at the beginning of CW, you know, everyone who sent us materials, we would hear because I was hoping to really discover something. And in some cases we did, in some, most cases we didn't. Um, but now when we get materials, I'd say we hear about 20% of those who send us stuff. So when I'm hearing singers, there has to be a baseline of performance on the resume. There has to be uh, a logical progression of roles, a logical progression of you know, where they went to school, what programs they've worked with, what teachers they've worked with, what directors they've worked with. Um, because if that baseline isn't there, um, I don't care if you sound like a god. It's hard to market um, a, a younger singer who doesn't have those tangibles. 
Um, for example, I heard a tenor two years ago, he sang Kuda from Onyegin. And if you put a recording of him next to Burling, it was really hard to tell the difference. But this gentleman just didn't have any performance experience. He didn't have any time on stage. And, you know, if I was to push him to a, a decent level company, they wouldn't take him seriously because he just hadn't had that experience. So, uh, first of all, uh, in a general FOC discussion, there has to be um, something to manage is, is a simple way to say it, but there has to be um, career potential, not only in the voice, but what they've accomplished so far. So, you know, I do take a singer more seriously from, from certain schools that I know the teachers there or certain young artist programs that I really trust that are putting out working singers. Um, so that's the first consideration for sort of your, your color towards soprano. Um, the top's got to be perfect. It just has to be for that rep. If you're singing the queen and you don't have, you know, perfect coloratura, don't sing the queen because that's our standard. Um, if you're going to sing the doll song and it's not perfect, don't sing it. Like, you know, um, I was talking to a soprano yesterday who was singing Blanche. And I was like, how's the top feel? She's like, it's there 90% of the time. I'm like, don't sing that because that 10% of the time where it's not there, someone will hear you that's important. And it's just, you know, that has to be roll out of bed, pop, pop, pop that, pop that stuff out. Um, and then in that talk, I hear a lot of sort of Tweety Bird, very light, um, uninteresting colored voices. Um, so I'm looking for something that has a bit more depth that, that will cut in a big house. <laughs> Because I don't think any client that I've ever taken, you know, the the top of the mountain is a 600 seat house. That's just not our art form. Um, you're you're singing over, you know, 100 piece orchestra. You're churning out sound, and, I, and you need that to be produced in a in a healthy and easy way. Um, it's definitely not about loud, about projection. It's about being heard in the ensemble, um, and just you know, for all these sopranos, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty about rep i think really getting together with the teacher with the manager that's that's a big part of what we do is we we help curate the product um but before you sing for anyone for any major company for any manager like know your product um don't bring in arias that i mean it's good to be a diverse artist of course but give us a package that we can distill and understand in a short amount of time. Um, you know, as we get sort of into the, the juicier Sopranos, I'm looking for the same thing. The top still has to be perfect. The middle, um, you know, as we get a little bit heavier into to more lyric land, um, I'm looking for a different color. I'm looking for a different weight. I'm looking for, most importantly, something unique and something that if I hear a recording, I know it's that person, um, and I'm happy it's that person. Um, and we all have our preferences, and, and no voice is a thousand percent approved by every person. You know, my favorite tenor is Domingo. Not everyone loves Domingo. Everyone acknowledges he's a great artist, but you know, not everyone you know puts on his Romeo and Juliet over Bob's Romeo and Juliet or whatever tenor it is. Um, so, for Sopranos, there is a higher standard. People are 
I'm more likely to roll the dice on a resume that's less impressive from a base than is a soprano. You know, I need a soprano to have worked with at least a major yap, if not already having main stage credits on their resume. And I need it to be someone who, I don't think we do a lot of, we're not taking 24-year-old sopranos and sort of getting them through the yap ranks. I need someone who's ready to roll out right away. I need someone who I can push at a, at a, at a pretty high level. So um, every person's different, but that's the criteria for a soprano, I guess. Um, and it's just being able to um, also project that person into, you know, grown-up roles. There are a lot of younger sopranos who will sing Musettas, who will sing Paminas, even though that repertoire is very challenging on its own. And, you know, just because it sits a little bit middle or, or doesn't have the extreme top doesn't mean it's technically less musical or less uh, artistic. You know, there's this misconception within the American school system that everyone should sing Mozart. That's just not true. Like Mozart singers are Mozart singers for a reason. And for me, as uh, a bigger voice tenor, if I can say anything about my own singing, is that I was loud. You know, to have my first tenor role be Ferrando and Jose was scary because my voice didn't live up there in that tessitura. It doesn't have, you know, your B, B flat or C's, but tenor role is hard as shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I hear someone like Anthony Poldani sing that role, and it sounds like you rolled out of bed and you can do that. Like, it's just so easy. So I'm, I'm looking for all the Fox, but especially for Sopranos. It's got to be easy. It's got to sound effortless. It's got to look effortless physically. Like, everything has to be, you know, I call it quiet, calm, you could call it. Um, you know, I, I see Sopranos who the necks are jutting all over the place to sing high notes. Like, that's just not sustainable. Um, and um, as much as opera is the most open-minded field for being colorblind for you know taking people of all shapes and sizes essentially um looks are important especially for the women um for for dudes we have a a performance history of having these you know bigger bumbling guys who just sort of stand there but the voices are amazing and you know who cares um and you have a certain level of women who you know can do that but if you look at who's being pushed by major houses now, they're all gorgeous. Yeah, and I'd say it's... To be honest, yeah. So I'm so sorry to interrupt, but for, for women, just my observation is that, um, yeah, I agree with you, but if there's an exception to the rule, it seems to be like those really rare voice types, like those dramatic Heldon Sopranos or something like that, um, or like a, a dramatic contralto can, you know, whatever can... Yeah, where you can't be as picky. Yeah, um, that's the theme you know, we're going for here. Only certain people can sing that rep. Um, but if I have ten people who can sing Violetta, and they all can sing it the same, you know, if my director has a, a vision for what that person should look like, they're going to go with that person. For as sort of unfair and bullshit as that is, um, you know, I, I'm asked often by my non-opera friends when they look at our website, "Why is your website?" a bunch of models and that's not on accident. Um, obviously the voice always has to come first, but a opera singers are just an attractive lot as it is. I mean, look at us, but you know, it's important. 
it, it's we're in an HD physical, you know, art form and and being in shape and for the health wise of the voice, but also um, it's what they're looking at on stage. You're not going to have a five forward alpha with the six four BB. Right. Just wouldn't make sense. The line between, um, you know, old school f- performance art where the, the subject is at a distance for, from you on the stage and hmm. uh, streaming programs where you've got close-ups every five seconds is very blurred nowadays with everyone live streaming or at least the, the companies with budgets that can support that. And, and even the smallest, the, uh, the companies with the smallest budgets are trying to figure out a way. Um, when I had Bear Opera on, when I had Chicago Fringe Opera on, Loft Opera on, they're all, they were all talking about um, figuring out a way to live stream if they weren't doing it already because it's just so important. And it's a way that you can generate income as well with these online tipping services and so forth um, or selling a $1 ticket to watch a live stream of a show. You know, it's just a lucrative thing. It's the future. So take care of yourself. And <laughs> I guess is all I got to say. But yeah, it is, it does, it, it's tough if you're a, a 6'4 soprano, I guess, as you said, a 6'4 Mimi and you're opposite a 5'4 Rodolfo. Um, yeah, there's a lot of short tenors out there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's. That's uh, what they built risers for, though. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's. Know, let, it's, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, let's let's keep it rolling down the down the Fox and see if we can um, keep the. I've got a lot of thoughts going in my head. I know you do as well. But let's move on to mezzos and see if we can apply whatever our thoughts are to the the different foxes we move down because I want to really get through each fox because I know it's a little bit different than than the one before. Sure, you know, um, I was talking to a mezzo colleague of mine who was on our roster a few days ago. It was a really shitty year for mezzos audition wise. Um, the problem with mezzos on the main stage level is how many leading roles are there for mezzos? And those secondary roles, your Mercedes, your Floras, your Ninas, are being taken by the app artists. So it is really hard for mezzos to get put in the door at a main stage house. Um, so I'm looking for, for mezzos, it's, it's someone who's really secure in their identity because I, you have these mezzos who sing... Boys being boys, the Caribbeanos. You have the boys being men, more like a Sesto and, and um, or uh, it's the more heroic repertoire. Even something like Idamante, like that is a character who has class, who has you know stature compared to Caribbean, who's a prepubescent fourteen-year-old boy. That has to be approached in a different way. And then you have the mezzos who sing women, who sing your Sherlock's, who sing your Carmen's, who sing your really dramatic, um, not in a, in a vocal way, but the the more complex dramatic arc mezzos who have more time to sing on stage. Um, so I'm looking for a mezzo, no matter which category they sort of fit in, and I saw our mezzos who you know go back and forth. Um, I want someone who's really secure in, in what they can accomplish and, and what their interests are. Um, and, you know, most of all, I want to be impressed. I had a mezzo come in to sing for our roster on Friday. And I thought I knew exactly what she could accomplish. And she's a dear friend. And we ended up signing her. Um, but she came in and I thought she was going to start with some Dorbella or you know, Generico mezzo, Mozart. And she said she was going to start with Va. And she said I gave her a look that, like, I was so disappointed. 
and I'm sure I did, even though I didn't realize, because I'm like, oh, wow, for a young singer, heavy, you know. Um, but she crushed it, and, and you know that opened my eyes to a career path that I never sort of saw for her, and I hope I can get her to. And was the reason we signed her because we see this sort of increased diversity of roles that she would be marketable for. Um, and you know, for the mezzos too. The Sopranos have been sing- stealing your rep for years. Like, it's the time for the Mezzos to start stealing stuff back. I know a very talented Mezzo who starts every audition with Elvira, and it works. Um, you know, a lot of this Mezzo stuff is just low Soprano. Composer, Octavian. Like, that stuff sits super high. So, you know, I do think of some of my Mezzos as Soprano twos, um, who can reach up into that rep and, you know, sing a Zerlina, sing a Justina, sing... You know, this sort of, it's not sufficient Pocky. It's just, it's indeterminate. It's its a color thing more than a, you know, anyone can sing the speed. I can roll out and sing the speed tomorrow. Um, it just is what is going to be best suited for the production. And one thing um, I always talk about the speed is like my benchmark role. Um, I'm never going to send three of the same singer to sing for Despina for a company. I'm not going to send three color tours, but I'm going to send a color tour, a mezzo, and a bigger lyric so the company can make that choice on who to cast. You know, I tell my clients all the time, it doesn't matter that I love you. I already do. I signed you. You're on my roster. Like, I need to make sure the companies love you too mm-hmm. um, and that they are hiring you because if I could still produce and, you know, give all my clients money, I would be doing that, but that's just not my parts. Of course. Okay, so let's move on to tenor then. So, the T dots. Oh, the tenors. Oh, the ten. Well, I mean counter tenors too. Oh, of course. I'm um, so sorry. I didn't mean to. And we have one wonderful counter tenor. Oh, um, awesome! That's great. Who, um, you yeah. know, for counter tenors, I'm looking for beauty of sound, and I'm looking for uh, because counter tenors have to have an aptitude in baroque, Handel, Monteverdi and new music because that's their forte that's where 90 percent of their repertoire is um you know singing stuff like britain and flight uh hearing someone like aria at the met council finals um that's a voice that just has beauty um and the countertenor who we have on our roster the wonderful jordan rudder um the second he opened his mouth i'm like that's just a beautiful tone it's a beautiful timbre um and especially for that fock that's what i'm looking for um I mean, I'm looking for beauty of tone for everybody, but countertenor is super important. Um, yeah, you, also, you I, know, I've heard a lot of, um, we. There, there's a, a group I sing with, Guitar Philharmonic Orchestra out here, and, and they fly out some soloists, and every now and then, like we've done Messiah, and and uh, some of the countertenors have been incredibly beautiful, and some of them are good and capable, but yeah, it's the beauty of tone that's lacking that that you notice right away. If it's like a white, kind of a boring tone, Right. Then you sort of question, like, okay, wasn't there someone else that you? Could, I don't know. At least in my head, I, I'm snobby, though. No, so. it's true. I, but that's um, that's sort of the joy of this art form is that it is so subjective. Um, there are plenty of singers who are on other rosters who are getting a lot of work. Who I don't prefer their singing. I don't prefer their artistry. Um, but they're working, so good for them. And you know, the same. Excuse me, with singers on my own roster. Um. They don't have to be everyone's favorite. They just have to be enough people's favorite to get work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, pivoting back to, to our lovely tenors. Um, taking out the baseline of the top has to be great. 
know, the tone has to be beautiful. There has to be a charisma for tenors that I think just any, every fox has to have, but tenors especially, because they're always the charismatic, like, lead guy. You know, you're always Alfredo, you're always the Duke, you're always Rodolfo, where you have to really bring the audience to you rather than, you know, screaming at them and, and pushing your sound out to them. Um, you know, and I think for tenors too, beauty of tone is just someone like Aaron. I mean, voice is just so silky and so, you know, rich um, that it's just something you want to listen to. You know, they're the reason tenors are the most sort of um, mainstream of the opera fox. Everyone knows Pav, everyone knows Domingo. Um, the three tenors, not the three baritones or the three mezzos or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's flashy. Everyone loves a high C, you know? Yeah. You know? Have you seen, a, there's a BBC documentary that used to be on YouTube, I think they took it down, called What Makes a Great Tenor. It's, it's hosted by Rolando yes, Villazone. it's great. It's amazing. Wonderful. And um, they have this little mini little interview of Renee Fleming and you know, what she's, you know, I don't know what the prompt question was, but she said, when a soprano misses a high note, it's shrill, or maybe it's a little flat, but when a tenor misses a high note, they just sing under so much pressure that it's, it's like a bomb goes off when a tenor uh-huh. misses a high note. So that if, if you can't be there and deliver under all that pressure, and that pressure is palpable even for an audience member that doesn't know what the technique is about. So Absolutely. I mean, you know, you hear that crack and you know. No. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a lot of pressure. So, but also for tenors, um, I feel like the character repertoire is so underutilized today. Like someone like Nico Castell mm-hmm. made a career for 50 years being like the buffoon, which is impressive and being the comic relief. And, you know, I see a lot of tenors who I think would have a lot of success in that repertoire who want to be the romantic lead. And for some people, that's just not in the cards. And there's a lot of, really good to be had doing that repertoire being Basilio in not say being the the servant in Hoffman like there's great music and some of that stuff yeah so you know uh, knowing your strengths and really um you know for for sopranos I know this one girl who sings Berta and Barber all over the place it's not a hard sing you just have to be hilarious but she's making a career essentially being Berta being the person that someone calls for that role. Um, so, you know, finding your niche for any pocket important, but uh, <clears throat> for the tenore, um, it's uh, putting yourself in a, in a spot where, where you can be unique because there's a lot of Rodolfo's out there who can technically do it. There's a lot of Dukes out there who can, you know, get through the arias, but it's being able to pace it through a whole role and being able to, to add something artistically to that that um, you're looking for. My, um, my observation being a tenor myself, if I can chime in, is that it seems to be, back to the charisma thing, um, it, it's such, it's a fuck that's riddled with so much fear technically because that like dreaded passaggio and tenor high notes are just so scary that if you get someone out there who has charisma and still sings the crap out of it and does it like in an amazing visual performance way, then that's going to be the guy that wins as opposed to the guy who's standing still. Like you see death go over his eyes because he's like looking into his own throat and examining, making sure it's all tech, you know, no one wants to watch that. 
Um, even though, yes, even though, even though someone like Pavarotti basically did that and had a very successful career doing that, standing on stage and just like kind of yeah, but that voice is like one of a kind. Of course, exactly. He's no one gave a shit because he was just that good. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, so uh, that's the thing. Like, if you're a soprano and you sound like Sutherland, like sure, you could probably stand there and just like chill out. But that's so fair. And the level of artistry you have to have internally is so high that, you know, no manager is going to be like, hey, singer, you're that good. So you can just stand there and not, not do anything and people will hire you. Yeah. Um, you know, especially within, within the agency world that we're in, direction is being so, um, there's so much more focus on the director. Um, you know, the, the European trends are coming states, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, but, you know, for, for tenors, it's those, you know, above the staff, that's the standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had, um, who did I have on? Chris Colmanero was like my first guest on this podcast. And he was like, look, man, tenors are hired to basically sing five notes. If those five notes aren't there, then, then be a baritone. Which brings me into, which brings me into baritone land. So what are you looking for in a baritone? Okay. Oh, Chris. I love Chris, by the way. Um, <laughs> baritones. Okay, so the, the big thing I have about baritones is that I, I'm sort of, you know, the dramatic stuff, um, so be it. That's If you can sing Germont and big Verdi stuff, like, you can sort of stand there and do whatever the hell you want. But for the 90% of baritones who are singing stuff like The Count, who are singing, you know, uh, Belcore and sort of white boy generico baritone rep. Um, the the uniqueness of color has to be there. Um, you know, that passaggio has to be super even. Uh, we had a baritone come in and audition for our firm twice within a year, and both times he sang the Count's aria, and both times the F-sharp just splatted. And I was like, I'm, I can't hire you if you're going to have that, like, you know, not that it's all about the high note, but that F-sharp in the Count is so important. Everyone's waiting for it, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, for baritones, too, because it's not as strenuous of a tessitura, it has to be so even. Um, and, you know, have something that is uh, dramatically and vocally not only pleasing, but um, appropriate to the style and... Um, unique to whatever path that baritone is, is following because someone who sings Rossini, who sings Nardini and Figaro and Babietti, um, is someone different to singing the Count and Belcore, and then you go into, you know, the bigger repertoire. So, um, you know, for me building a roster, I want a baritone who can sing and a singer who can sing any role within the repertoire um, at any level of company. So, you know, that's my big goal. If someone, uh, say the Met, says we're doing flute, who can you have? And Nashville says we're doing flute, who do you have? And Loft Opera says we're doing flute. I want a singer at every level to send to those companies. Um, do you find do you find body type um, playing into baritones that you hire? Because I read an article maybe end of 2016, I forget who did it, I think maybe it was Opera News or something, that there are more baritones now than there are sopranos. And I don't know if you've made that same observation. 
I wouldn't say that's quite true. Um, there are a lot of baritones out there, and they sort of all look the same. Um, there's a lot of like five eight to six foot Caucasian baritones out there who sing the same rep. They all sort of look like the count should look and not say. Um, but you know, yeah, lyric baritone's tough. I mean, we definitely try to niche our singers into Rossini, into bigger rep because that makes them more marketable. Um, there's enough established singers out there who sing that basic lyric baritone rap who are going to continue to get hired. And why, why hire someone new if you already have a product that you trust? Um, that's the same thing with Sopranos. Um, we had a couple of really good Sopranos audition for Dallas, and uh, David Lalemi at Dallas was like, you know, look, we're hiring Eileen Perez. We're hiring uh, these amazing singers. Like, your singers are good, but they're just not Eileen Perez yet, and that's fine. Um, that's just the, the name of the game. So, um, you know, baritones in particular, there is always emphasis on the top. And that is important. Um, but, you know, I want warmth and depth in the tone as well um, because that's where the role sits. And if I hear, you know, three hours of a baritone thing we count where only if sharp is good, like, gives a shit yeah it has to be paced it has to be the whole thing mm-hmm. all right bass baritones basses what are you looking for just you're just looking for one in particular because they are unicorns or uh is do you have just as high standards for them as you do other fox oh yeah you have to have as high standards i mean you know bases definitely take the longest to gestate and sort of develop um you're looking for someone who can produce a tone that is it has to be rich it has to be round it has to be even i hear a lot of basses who they bottom out and it sounds great and it sounds great but, you know, on the staff and above the staff but that middle just is not it's gravelly it's it's just weak um and, and you know if you're singing sarastro and your low notes are great that's fine you know nine tenths of the aria sits on the staff um and if that's not beautiful, then I don't care. Um, but, you know, you're looking for someone to, especially for bass baritones, because they are singing, um, you know, some of this more buffo stuff, even something like Leporello. It has to be, um, it's a different kind of charisma than the tenors, but you're looking for that um, comedic timing, for that uh, willingness to, be loose physically. Um, that is essential for the rep that they sing. Mm-hmm. Wow, we made it through all of them. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I, I think your perspective your perspective is like so valuable to have on this show because um, I have I've only really had singers so far and or singers that double as entrepreneurial um, professionals in this situation, starting and managing companies or on the administrative side or whatever. And singers are writing in and stuff. And because singers are the ones listening to these singers, and I try to get really, really fine singers on this show, um, I think the, the perspective of someone who's hiring is extremely valuable because we have our ideas as singers, but um, when, it comes to, when it comes to management, be quiet, Kingston. When it comes to management, um, you know, that's really who, who matters. Those are, it's people like you that are on the ground who make 
a career out of relationships who can make those connections happen for you, especially when a singer has to spend so much time on music and technique. And um, it's just difficult to to do it all yourself. And it, if when you're ready for management, you can go take it. And of course, you can go get a fest contract or whatever that you don't need management for. But even that's, you know, it's a difficult, it's a difficult world and we need to know how to um, make it through as performers. And so, go ahead. You about to say something. Yeah. No, I just think that um, the most important thing for, for gaining management for me is producing a sound and an artistic quality that is unique. Um, I feel like in conservatory, we're all told, you need to do this, you need to sound like this. And once those technical chops are acquired, um, I want to see artistry. I want to see something that is um, original to you. And I want to see something that I can, you know, with good conscience, push my colleagues at companies and be like, this is something you should hire. Because, you know, many of these artistic directors too are my friends, many of my managers are friends. And um, if I'm pushing a product that I don't believe in, it just will come back to bite me in the ass and I'm not a good colleague. So um, that is my, my, I guess, these are advice for singers is just don't be, don't be a sheep. Just, just do something, do something fun, take a chance, go take an acting class and like, just produce something that is you. Yeah. Well, I think uh, that's that's it. I know you got another appointment, and um, I'm leaving for Vietnam in a couple hours, so I got to pack. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for for coming on, Justin. It was so great to catch up with you and to just get your ideas on on this and to hear all that you're up to. I can't wait to. I I've seen a couple of singers. Um, sort of through the back door who are um, associated with you, but I uh, am ashamed to say I didn't even look through your website's roster <laughs> before I talked to you. How oh, bad yeah, of a colleague am I? Um, but anyway, thank you so much for coming on here. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Voice Talks. I want to remind you that if you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do it. And it's really appreciated. First, a big thank you to the couple of supporters on Patreon who have uh, pledged just a couple bucks a month. It's extremely helpful and just truly, truly thank you from, from the bottom of my heart. Um, also, the couple of PayPal donations that have come in, thank you so much. That's uh, it's really kind. I truly do love doing this. Please send me a message. Um, there's an email address on the website, voicetalkspodcast.com. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what uh, you wish I did better. Please, I want to serve you through my passion of discovering how um, people sing at the level that they do and how they make it in this amazingly competitive career. So keep the messages coming. I really appreciate the listeners who have written me, um, written their appreciation. It's really, really awesome. Right when I was thinking, oh man, who's even listening to these episodes? You know, I see a few downloads here and there people write in and say that they really appreciate it. So thank you so much to those faithful listeners. You can also support the show by just going to the website and doing your regular Amazon shopping through the Amazon affiliate links. The show gets a very small commission with each of your purchases at no extra cost to you, or of course, uh, donate through the website. Or if you don't have Audible yet, check out Audible. It is a sponsor of the show. You can get a free trial at Audible and every free trial that uh, listeners 
download on Audible using the affiliate link. Just gives the show a couple dollars, which is very helpful as well. I've gotten a couple of those. Thank you so much for for thinking of the podcast when you uh, download your Audible app for the first time. So go to audibletrial.com slash voice talks. You can support the show that way. Thanks for the little spiel. I will catch you next time.